0: Log Talk Radio.
1: fans, Welcome to the show on another Sunday, this being the first Sunday of October. We are kicking off Funny Ha Ha Month. All month long we'll have people that have delved in both wrestling and comedy. Real quick before we jump into it with our guests, if you're looking for some pro wrestling today in Toledo, Ohio, you will find ECW and in Muncie, Indiana, you have DC CW featuring Rakishi so make sure you get out there find the local wrestling near you support it also our former guest of the show Jason Chaos wants to let us know that he is still auctioning off a signed championship belt to raise funds for his cousin's medical bills so all you have to do to enter that is send him an email it is jasonchaos69 at gmail.com. J-A-S-O-N-K-A-O-S69 at gmail.com. So try to help him out if you can. But without further ado, we kick off Funny Ha-Ha Month with our guest out of the great state of Colorado. He is stand-up comedian. He wears multiple hats in pro wrestling. Joe Vernola, thank you so much for being here with us today.
2: Oh, Thanks for having me. That whole comedian thing might be a little bit of a stretch. I have done some comedy. I don't know if I actually qualify as comedian yet, but I, 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 I did... I did do stand-up down in Phoenix, and I'm trying to get my feet wet back up here. I've done some shows and stuff, and then, you know, COVID shut everything down. So,
1: Well, I've seen you do the stand-up, and I will count you as a comedian because you're out there giving it your best and entertaining a crowd, so I will count that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Now, since it is your first time here with us, I will give you – the first timer question with a bit of a twist: What led to you getting into the business of pro wrestling, and how did you branch
2: off into comedy? Um, well, it was—it's kind of weird. Well, maybe not weird, but it's just—I've always kind of everything I've done uh, growing up and tried to learn, and everything was geared towards doing something in pro wrestling. And I realized at a pretty early age that I didn't quite have the genetics to be one of the big guys. And I wasn't agile and athletic enough to be a uh, Rey Mysterio or anyone like that. So I very quickly started focusing on trying to be a Jim Ross or a uh, Howard Finkel, David Penzer, you basically someone working with a microphone. So I, Study broadcasting and stuff and it just kind of fell into place. I got, I had just gotten out of the Navy. There was a, uh, indie show. There was future stars of wrestling running in town. Uh, my buddy, Paulie cover invited me to a show. Um, and while I was at that show, I saw a, uh, buddy from, a uh, band in high school was actually one of the wrestlers, uh, Sugar Brown, Um, so I started talking to him uh, about how to get in, and then like that next Monday, I was uh, starting at, uh, I basically got into wrestling that way, and this was, I want to say like 2009, 2008, some ungodly long time ago like that, and then as far as the comedy goes kind of like wrestling. That was something that I had always at least wanted to attempt or try to do. And when I was down in Arizona, I was um, hosting a lot of pub quiz games like Geeks Who Drink for Them, and uh, usually I'd crack some jokes on the mic. One of the players at one of my games ran open mic nights and other stuff down in Phoenix said, yo, you really got to try this and uh, I just kind of fell into it that way. Now, obviously, we
1: have funny ha-ha month here on Turnbuckle Turmoil. In the last probably five years, I have noticed more and more pro wrestlers turning to comedy as sort of a side avenue, I guess. Uh, people like Mick Foley, Rob Van Dam, Jake Roberts in a Several independent wrestlers have all done stand-up. What do you think it is that has recently attracted pro wrestlers to try their hand at stand-up comedy?
2: Um, and I was thinking about this a little bit ahead of time too. Uh, I kind of figured it would come up. There are a lot of parallels. Um, whereas... You're whereas in wrestling you're playing more of a character that's not so much the case in comedy, but they kind of go hand in hand with each other in that it's a very individual performance art. Where yes, in wrestling you do have a dance partner out there and everything, and that there is that element to it. But at the end of the day, that character you're representing is very individualized. It's not part it not it can operate on its own without being part of a larger ensemble though as a wrestler you are part of a larger ensemble it, it's but it focuses on that individual that character um it there's a lot of improvisation involved in both where uh, where if you start doing well on the fly in one it'll just naturally carry on over into the other, and there's um, it helps uh, being a comedian or a wrestler trying to get into comedy and being able to read the crowd and knowing that uh, going into whichever one you're trying to cross into and already know, there's there's so many similarities, and there are actually a lot of opportunities to get better at one that will translate over into the other. And I think that might be a bit of the appeal in it. And I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of us are just not necessarily insecure or anything, but you know, it, it's a, uh, it's good cheap free therapy to just get out on a microphone every once in a while. And just, you know, the old self-deprecating humor and self-therapy session or something on a microphone. while. Everyone laughs at your problems with you. But Very, very true.
1: Now, as I mentioned, you wear a lot of hats in pro wrestling. You have refereed some matches, you have actually wrestled some matches, you are ring announcer, you are commentator. What would you say is your favorite role to perform? Not necessarily what you do best, but what you most prefer doing?
2: Um, I like probably the most is um, either managing or uh, wrestling just because there, there's a lot more crowd interaction there. And when I'm managing, I get to work heel, and that lets that's a uh, nice little change of pace for me. It lets me tap into a bit of a different side in front of a crowd than I normally get to tap into but honestly my favorite job or whatever is whatever I'm going to be doing for the next one Uh, as you know as much as I love putting together matches or being a manager or anything like that I like everything else I do like I'm going to be in Utah next weekend for uh, DCW. uh, I'll be ring announcing there. And I love ring announcing. I I wouldn't do it if I I didn't have, if I didn't love doing it or if I didn't have fun doing it. So it's, I don't know if I have a particular favorite, but I do like getting to mess with the crowd when I'm working as a heel manager. That's probably the most on. I w- wouldn't say that makes me like it better than any other job I do, though. Fair enough. Now, you
1: are the commentator at uh, Primo's Pro Wrestling in Colorado, and you work mm-hmm. for a few other places in that state. Colorado has seemingly blown up as far as independent pro wrestling over the last few years. There's several very good promotions in that state. A lot of talent coming out of there. What do you think it is about the Colorado wrestling scene that has really made it stand out in the western half of the country?
2: Um, It's just a lot of people peaking at the right time. It's a lot of young young guys and girls getting into it at the right time, uh, start, not necessarily peaking because hopefully they move on and then that would be when they're peaking. But like, they, they're all, they're all young. They're all hungry. They're all hitting their stride at the same time, which is, uh, gives a good aesthetic because, Oh damn, there's a lot of bangers, uh, coming out of this area right now. And that, um, and that's uh, quite serendipitous that they're all, you know, about the same age and everything, but there's, um, there's a camaraderie in this scene out here that I haven't necessarily noticed um, that I'll notice it in other places, but it's like usually in smaller pockets or stuff. Whereas like this, um, this, where as in Colorado it's just like everyone is everyone's home. There's really no there's really no drama, no beef. It, it, it's a very uh, like there's more camaraderie here than I've seen in other places. And I now, think that would be the biggest thing.
1: I, I would agree with that. Now, internationally if Somebody is in trouble if they need help. Wrestling has traditionally been sort of a brotherhood as far as the profession goes, and people will network to help fellow wrestlers in need. They don't necessarily have to know them or have worked with them. They know people that know people that know that person, and they are usually willing to help if a situation arises and somebody needs it. Uh, have you experienced that sort of camaraderie where there's maybe somebody in need and people will rise to the occasion to help them regardless if they're necessarily like in a working relationship at that time with the person?
2: Um, I honestly, I see it happen all the time. Um, and I getting to see a little bit more of it firsthand than I would have liked to, as you touched on earlier, I do, uh, work for Primos. We did have that unfortunate, um, accident on the 18th and everything. And there, there are a lot of people from outside Colorado and outside wrestling in general, but in wrestling, but and outside Colorado, uh, donating to the uh, GoFundMe for Benjamin Cumberbatch and everything. Um, but, like, I've also noticed it in just, like, secondhand instances and such where it's, like, you know, I'll have a buddy that works in Rochet that lives in Rochester, New York or something, and he's up in the uh, PNW uh, Looking for, you know, oh man, I need, I'm um, working this show, and I need a uh, couch for the night or something. And then, like, someone that, you know, you said they've never really interacted with or know other than through a degree of separation with someone will step up, oh yeah, man, crash on my couch or something. I got, it. you know, I'll feed you for the night, you know, that crap, stuff like that. And so there's definitely, um, a a brotherhood on a larger level and everything as well.
1: One of the things that has become very, very important to pro wrestling in the last 15 years, and I imagine this would carry over to comedy as well, is social media. It's become one of the biggest ways that people promote what they do and uh, promote not only themselves but their companies and so forth. Looking at the landscape of thing, do you think from the comedy you've been involved with and the wrestling that you've been involved with, that people have a firm grasp on social media? Or do you think one or both of the genres are still trying to learn how to effectively use it?
2: Um... There are people in both industries that know how to use it incredibly effectively, um, on it that are on like in independent level or haven't quite hit the big time. I don't think it necessarily comes down to what industry they're in, but rather the individual and how savvy they are with, um, social media and marketing and things like that because so sort of like you said earlier social media is uh, the biggest marketing tool out there and um, it more come I've learned it more comes down on the individual as opposed to the industry that individual is in if you're if you're more outgoing if you're more charismatic if you're more a little more jovial magnanimous um things of that nature then you're going to be better on social media you're going to be better marketing yourself um no matter what your industry is a lot of that just comes down to a uh, charisma and how much of yourself you're willing to put out there and um with wrestling and comedy you don't really have to put yourself out there you can just put your character out there but again at the end of the day it all comes down to the individual and how savvy they are with it and how much effort and time they put into it
1: now, one of the other things that has become fairly important especially the last year and a half or so has been live streaming events in the era where a lot of places had restrictions on not allowing fans in the building or having very limited fans promotions tended to try to live stream shows in order to keep the product in the fans mind so when they could come back the crowds would come with them especially coming from someone that announces pro wrestling, do you think live streaming events is very beneficial or do you think that it will ultimately hurt as far as live attendance figures?
2: I think anything that gets more eyes on your product at the end of the day is a good thing. Obviously, there are exceptions to that statement, but if you're always going to have more more eyes watching the live stream, it's going to bring in more more attention than what you get in your live audience. And at the end of the day, I don't think it really hurts live numbers because the people that want that live experience are still going to go out and get that live experience. They're not going to let um, things of the last uh, year and a half really hinder them or anything. I, it's um, If they're not going to be going to a show, if they're not going to be going out to a live event, an open mic night, anything like that, it, I don't think... It's because, oh, well, I can stay home and watch the live stream. It's because they, they have another reason that they don't want to go out. Um, I, I Since um, we've been running shows again in Colorado, I haven't really seen a dip in numbers or anything along those lines. If anything, I've seen a pop-up in numbers because people were clamoring for that experience, for the live experience so much more but at the same time a live stream is never going to hurt even if it's a stream that you do after the fact if it's on tape delay or something and getting more attention it is almost never a bad thing
1: now you say you noticed uh little increase in the crowds, do you have access to the numbers of the live stream so you can compare what people were doing with the live stream before the pandemic to now, or is that something you don't really get to see?
2: Um, Those are numbers that I myself haven't really seen at least uh, pre pandemic and everything. And we've, we're, Still getting the live stream going, um, but at the same time, like with places that I've been working in Vegas in the meantime and stuff, like I'm working uh, a lot for Versus Pro down in Vegas, and right now, due to the size of their space and the way regulations are in Nevada and everything, they can only get you know. 50 people per show or so and those people jump on those tickets right away but there's at least twice that to three times that watching on the twitch stream and so it's um and then as for the numbers in colorado for colorado companies i really don't have those handy. It's something that I could probably look at later, but I know as far as the per view we did last year during the pandemic, uh, the numbers are probably 10 to 1 as far as streaming views to live views to in person.
1: That's a pretty significant audience.
2: Yeah. Uh, for for that one, yes
1: Well, at this point in time I suppose QT is standing by I know that he has questions To ask as well, so I'll pass you over To him for a bit
2: Alright
0: Well, thank you, Sun Hello, Mr. Vanola.
2: Oh, How's it going?
0: Oh, it's going pretty good Mr. Vernola. were you at a match Recently where the two wrestlers uh they were uh Joe Barton and Jacob Thorne and one of them was in a like a a rachnoid outfit
2: yeah that's Jacob Thorne uh that is the uh Black Wrestlers Matter show from last year uh, can you tell us where
0: this was uh where this took place because to me looking at that YouTube video it looked like it was in a church like setting or What used to be a church?
2: Um, It is a uh, bar. We've been uh, running out of the venue for, I want to say, the last seven, eight years now. Um, It is the Watering Bowl. It is uh, just outside downtown Denver, Colorado. Um, It is more supposed to be kind of a uh, hunting lodge vibe and everything, but you can definitely get the uh, same kind of cathedral vibe with all the – with all the old hardwoods and everything, and the vaulted ceilings and everything, it definitely does give off kind of a cathedral vibe too. I never really thought of it that way, but once you pointed it out, like it, it definitely does evoke that.
0: Now, um, I believe Joe Barton, yeah, due to my video analysis, probably went six foot tall, one hundred and eighty-five pounds. And Jacob Thorne probably went five eleven one eighty. Am I pretty close to those figures?
2: um Joe's probably about twenty to thirty pounds heavier. he just um he carries it very well, but he usually goes about uh, anywhere between two o five and two fifteen um, although a year ago he was probably a little bit smaller. he was still probably closer to two hundred but yeah, Joe's about six foot tall goes about one and 200 plus
0: oh okay how about jacob thorn
2: i guess uh, one eighty. yeah no you were you were uh right on the you were right on the nail there he's got about he's got about two in two inches and 20 pounds on me
0: oh okay well for our show's record can you yourself name your height and weight
2: um, about five seven uh, one sixty five right now. I think that's uh, what they built me up for my match last weekend.
0: Okay, all right. Well, as a comedian, do you ever use the YouTube as materi- material, or a study of co- comedic history? For instance, do you ever go back and watch old film clips of Abbott and Costello?
2: Um, I'll definitely uh, I'll definitely watch old clips on YouTube and uh, whatever other streaming options I can find. Um, I don't necessarily watch Abbott and Costello. I'll, w- I'll watch a lot of um, old Charlie Chaplin uh, for his mannerisms and facials. Um, I'll go back to uh, Robin Williams for a lot of the same reasons. Uh, Groucho Marx is another one that um that I'll try to watch a lot of um there were always uh there were always good stand up clips on um on Carson and there's uh there's a couple places to find those on youtube and a couple other places on the internet um i do i do go digging in the crazy occasionally though to shorten up my answer yes
0: do you believe Robin Williams? Ha- uh, could you see an influence of Groucho Marx on Robin Williams?
2: Um, yeah, there, there's uh, there was definitely some influence from Groucho just in kind of in some of the deliveries and the and um, not necessarily under his breath or parenthetical um, deliveries or anything like that, but like there, there was. If you watch um, the two of them pretty much back-to-back, you can see there's uh, some similar pacing in some of um, Robin Williams' jokes and, and that. Okay.
0: Were you a big fan of Robin Williams on the show, Mark and Mindy?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't get a lot of sleep as, as a kid for whatever reason. And I uh, also had a uh, TV in my room, which may have been why I didn't sleep, but um, I would watch a lot of Nick at night as a kid and they had a lot of Morgan at the time. So uh, that was definitely something I watched a lot of.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Now, if you were to travel back in time, and were to do a tag team comedy skit with Andre the Giant as your partner, would you be scared of a snake Damien if you if you told a wrong joke?
2: Uh, so if I were to be doing a set with uh, Jake, would I be afraid of Damien if I told a wrong joke? Um, yeah,
0: if you could tag team with Andre, yes.
2: Oh, if I could tag team with Andre, would I be afraid of? Well, yeah, honestly, because if Andre is scared of Damien, like the only thing, the only other thing I could think of that would scare Andre would be Bad News Brown. So, uh, I'd be a little worried. Is it anything that uh, makes Andre scared would uh, scare me?
0: Well, Bad News Brown had a run in with Andre uh, supposedly on the bus, and he asked Andre the Giant to step outside. Uh, that uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, was um, – how would you say? Well, maybe Bad News Brown had been in several wars before, you know, went back yeah. down for me But another uh, wrestler, maybe Andre didn't fear him, but he respected him, was Haku.
2: Yeah, Haku. definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well,
0: if you were on stage with Haku, or maybe Bad News Brown as a comedy team – would you be uh, in the back of your mind would you be slightly scared to uh, mess up the show and then have to face them in the locker room <laughs> oh no
2: doubt oh, oh okay. no doubt no doubt there there's um i mean i always carry kind of a healthy fear fear of that no matter what i'm doing but um yeah there there is uh there would definitely be a healthy fear if i if I was, um, if I told the wrong, if I said the wrong thing, or something that I'd, uh, wind up, that I wind up in the back. It's actually, um, so there was, it's, now that I think about it, there was, there was a show last year. Um, we have a wrestler out here, uh, becomes Justin Andrews who is very proud of being Jewish, which you know, another, absolutely nothing wrong with that. I have this problem where I'm kind of like Ron Burgundy. If you whisper something in my ear and I have a microphone in front of my face, chances are I'm going to say it. Like, and so this was right after um, it was Richard Lewis or some basketball player made some kind of comment. And basically, I made the someone made a joke in my ear. I made it on the microphone all of a sudden, I got big guns looking at me, and I'm like, "What the fuck did I just say <laughs> And then I found out later what I had said wrong. I went back to apologized for it, and everything was fine, but like there there is always fear of something like that happening in the back of my mind, like almost always.
0: whoa, well, okay, all right, well. As you know, the straight man in a comedy team is invaluable, and one of the best uh, straight men or even in comedy shows itself, the person who is uh, acting as a straight man sometimes, you know, goes down in history as a great actor. One I can think of is Bob Newhart. And uh, he- I especially enjoyed him on The Big Bang Theory with his acting with uh, Sheldon Cooper. Was Bob Newhart an influence for you?
2: Um, I don't know if he was an influence, but I did, but Bob Newhart was definitely someone that I enjoyed watching um, the Bob Newhart show, and then he, they had the uh, show Newhart, late 80s, early 90s, and then again watching repeats on Nick at Night and everything, and then later on watching him uh, do the I uh, guess spots on the Big Bang Theory. I don't know if there is necessarily an influence there, but there's definitely an appreciation and there are times where um, I'll, I'll see someone play the straight man so well that it gets other people that it'll work other people into not realizing that they're be that they're being part of the act or something like that, you know, like they just do it so well that it almost winds up flying over people's head.
0: Okay, say if Bob Newhart was were to step into the WWE wrestling ring several years ago and appear on Carlito's cabana, would Carlito spit an apple in his face for not being cool?
2: Yes. No, oh, undoubtedly, he'd spit and Bob Newhart being the straight man that he is and everything would probably no sell it. He might wipe it off his face, but uh, he he would just do the Newhart stare blank back at him and then, just, so why'd you do that? <laughs> and and then go right into it. <laughs> okay, what
0: wrestler would would you think would be the number one wrestler to come to Bob Newhart's rescue if Carlito went beyond the spitting of the apple in his face and laid his hand on Bob Newhart and threatened to get him in a leg lock, what would be the number one wrestler to come to his aid?
2: Foley. Oh, Mick Foley.
0: Okay, wow. That's yeah, a very good answer.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like he, car, the Carlito would grab him would basically threaten to put him in the leg lock and everything, and as soon as he finishes the sentence, you'd hear the, uh, you'd hear the car crash for the uh, beginning of uh, the mankind team, and Foley would come out and make the save. Wow. Either that or you get the cactus. Either that or you get the cactus jack team. But
0: mm.
2: how about the wrestler known as Dude Love?
0: Would he come to Bob Newhart's rescue? Oh
2: yeah, no, d- yeah, no doubt. Any any one of the three faces of Foley or Mick himself would come out. Wow. Although okay. although if it's um, if it's Dude Love, you'd probably have the promo on the uh, big screen first before he comes out. Like, ow, Daddy, and that's my friend Bob. You're messing with there. You better, let you know, and then he'd come out.
0: Okay. All right.
2: Do you yourself
0: see a future where you are uh, known as the heel turn comic?
2: Um, I don't know. It could be. I I mean, I haven't really turned against an audience yet, but I haven't had a reason to turn against an audience either. But it's not outside the realm of possibility, but I, I, I don't know if I would do it either.
0: Oh, okay. Well, now Sam Kennison wasn't exactly portrayed as a heel, <clears throat> although he did give his audience advice not to marry, and he'd have that scream. Would, do you would you categorize uh, Sam Kennison as a heel or baby face in the role of a comedian?
2: Um, I don't know if he would really fit either role, like he definitely does say some heel things. You're right there. You're definitely right there. But um at the same time, there was a lot of stuff that Kinison would say that was, that was just common sense. And he was, he represented and was the embodiment of the anger of the every man at his time. Because if you listen to a lot of the things that he was aggravated about or he would complain about they they were you know they they were every man everyday problems they kind of transcended uh they kind of transcended everything it was something everyone could relate to, and they felt his they felt his rage, and maybe if it wasn't at that level, they at least felt his rage and would laugh at the exaggeration he would make of it,
0: pretty much like failed marriages. Yes.
2: Yes. Well, yeah. Okay. Exactly. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. Well,
0: if you were to uh, form a comedy team with a WWE manager, who would be your top three picks? And would Bobby the Brain Heenan be one of them?
2: Yeah, Heenan would definitely be one of them because he was just he was just so quick witted and he'd be able to turn things on people uh, quite quickly, but he also had the ability to turn those things on himself and make himself the joke when the time was right, and that's uh, that's something that's truly admirable. Um, so I, I would definitely have uh, Bobby Heenan on there. Um, Paul Heyman would probably be the Intel comic. You know, just like I could see Paul Heyman being really good at, at looking out into the crowd and calling people out on their foibles and faults and such, and he'd be really good at uh, at the insult comic vein of it. And another manager, um, past or present. Um, I don't want to say Jimmy Hart, but Jimmy Hart would be a Jimmy Hart would be a pretty good choice too. Like uh, Jimmy could be, and Jimmy had a lot of versatility because he could go babyface or heel, and that would translate really well into uh the comedy world especially if you know someone like tries to hijack the show from him jimmy could turn on him real quick and get the show back but uh so yeah jimmy jimmy hart paul hammond and bobby the brain okay
0: well gorilla monsoon was a pretty good straight man to bobby the brain the straight man he
2: was he definitely was they would uh they would uh, feed each other very, very well. Um, yeah, you're right. Yes. Okay. All right.
0: In your opinion, do you believe Jerry Seinfeld would have been a good wrestler? Jerry Seinfeld.
2: Um, I. So yeah, I mean, if he if he were built up a little bit more and everything, I think he'd be better suited as a manager than he would be a wrestler unless he were in the Andy Kaufman vein. And I'm not saying like the misogynist uh, intergender champion of the world vein, but like just if he were used more the way Andy Kaufman was used where, you know, it was once every couple of weeks or, you know, something like that, he, he could be used right. Um, But I think that Jerry Seinfeld would be better suited as a manager, which would make Larry David a better manager than Jerry Seinfeld. But um, but that's a different conversation.
0: Well, I think Kramer could do fairly well as a wrestler because, as you know, he had quite a few Pratt follows on the show Survive and survived. Oh, yeah, no.
2: The- uh, he yeah, even wrestled- you're
0: right with a bag of concrete trying to uh, wreck a, a washing machine.
2: <laughs> I mean, and he got the uh, cigar store Native American into the ca- into his cab. I mean, that, that's no minor feat. Um, no, Kramer would be... Kramer would definitely be... Uh, would be a great wrestler. Um, and he'd be... Like, his Hulk-up would, would be legendary. Like, oh, okay. he, he could... Yeah, like his Hulk up or his comeback, whatever you want to call it, like w- would be legendary. And then he, he he could win the match, and he'd not even like be aware of what was only like semi aware of what was going on. Oh, I, I beat this guy. Hey, Jerry, did you see that? that uh, yeah.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Well, keeping on the subject of time travel, how well could you have gotten along? with mash's character, Major Charles Emerson Winchester, would you have gotten along with him if you were to uh, sleep in a tent with him
2: um well, if I were to have slept been having to sleep in a tent with him, I would have got i would have gotten along with him, but he, the man would have annoyed the piss out of me right? it, it was I, I would have much rather been with uh, Hawkeye or uh, BJ Honeycutt or, you know, but, um, but I mean, it's the military and I was in the Navy. So, you know, sharing, sharing a birthing with people you don't necessarily like is kind of par for the course in the, in the military. Okay.
0: All right. Do you believe that Corporal Klinger was an inspiration for gold dust? Um
2: maybe i i don't maybe in just this sense of wearing the corset and and the um evocation and hinting to cross dressing, but I don't think it was a direct inspiration because klinger Klinger was doing it as a way to uh, to get his Section 8, to basically get his Section 8 out of the, out of the Army and get home, get sent home on accounts uh, of mental illness, insanity, whatever you want to call it. Whereas with Goldust, it was because they, they were trying to hint at his homosexuality and everything like that, where Goldust was a cross stressor because he wanted to be a cross-dresser. Klinger was a cross-dresser because he wanted to get out of the Army.
0: Did you ever have any sailors that want that used uh a version of the section Eight to get out of the
2: navy um no, i don't uh, no I can't think of uh anyone that um tried to uh work the insanity angle or was actually insane uh to get a section eight out no
0: oh okay. Well, uh, we here at Turnbuckle Turmoil would like to thank you for your Navy service. Were, were you stationed on the destroyer?
2: Um, no, I was on an aircraft carrier. I was uh, stationed aboard USS Kitty Hawk, home ported out of Yokosuka, Japan. Whoa,
0: now the Kitty Hawk is in the mothball fleet in Bremerton, Washington, if I'm not mistaken. The Kitty Hawk.
2: yes. Yeah, you're right. That is absolutely correct.
0: Oh, okay. Do you believe one day that the Kitty Hawk will sail again due to China's Abs- aggression? Um, no, I
2: don't think. Uh, I don't think they'll pull any of the uh, of the mothball fleet out. It's been. It's been 13 years since the uh, Kitty Hawk's been decommed. That that would the de- plus it's conventionally powered, so it, it's it was the last steam-powered um, carrier in the fleet. So they would more than likely bring one of the nuclear-powered vessels out of mothballs first, just because it, the it can power itself longer. It can power itself for 20 years before they need to recharge the batteries. Whereas a conventional, uh, a steam powered carrier, you need to refuel, um, fairly often and, uh, do a lot of replenishments at the cease. And just the amount of money that it would take to bring the Kitty Hawk back to, uh, back to fighting shape, um, would be better suited on a newer, more capable carrier, um, not to get, like, too hardcore into defense analysts or analysis or anything like that. But that and, I mean, they've got, they've got a couple new carriers coming down the pipe pipeline. I know they've got the Bush was just commissioned a couple years ago. The Ford, it was either just commissioned or is... Getting ready to go. They've got they've got a couple new carriers uh, coming out. If you pay attention to uh, if you pay attention to that stuff, that, um, they're far far more capable than the Kitty Hawk, and they'd be doing it with a smaller crew, which at the end of the day puts fewer people in danger. So that's always a good thing. Yes, the Ford
0: is undergoing uh, uh, or has undergone the, their sea trials.
2: Their yeah, shakedowns. that's right. Yeah, yeah. She had her shakedown and her sea trials. I, you're right. I remember reading that now. Okay.
0: All right. Well, how were the cooks on board the Kitty Hawk, and did did any of them use an eight ounce ladle for a foreign object? <laughs>
2: Um, if they used an eight ounce ladle for a foreign object, I didn't see it, but I'm sure one had been used in a fight at some point. Um, the, the cooks were really good. Um, if they were cooking for smaller groups of people or something like that, obviously the officers in the, uh, war room always got better stuff and the captain and XO had their own cooks and everything. But like even the enlisted guys, like if you were able to hang out with one of those guys and they were able to sneak into the kitchen, they could, and make something, you know, in a single serving, it was pretty good. But like when you remember there's 5,000 people on a carrier and you only have so many cooks making food for, you know, 2,500 to 3,500 people at a time, whatever the number is. Like, it's not necessarily going to be the greatest cuisine ever, but it's going to be fast. So I got a lot of eggs and pancakes.
0: On on board your Kitty Hawk, was the executive officer a, fo- a captain or was he a commander? Yeah,
2: yeah no, he was in 06. Uh, the captain was in 06. The XO was an O six. The ship's medical officer was also an O six. They were, so all three of them were captains, and then we also had the flag officer on board. So we had a uh, one star admiral
0: for your uh, fleet for fleet. your for sailing. Yeah,
2: yeah we wow. had uh, the yeah we had the fleet com on um on board. Uh, so but yeah, the XO was a uh, was a captain as well. He was in 06.
0: In your estimation, could your executive officer uh, taken on your uh, captain and beaten him in a two out of three falls match, your executive officer?
2: Um, I think that DXO would, would definitely put up a hell of a fight. And uh, Captain Zekin would know he was in a fight. But at the end of the day, I think Captain Zekin would win that one.
1: Oh, okay. The,
2: I, I think the CO would beat the XO. I, not not that the XO was a pushover by any means. Captain Vickers was just as badass. But I, I, think, uh, I think Captain Z would have him.
0: Oh, okay. Can you tell our Turnbuckle Turmoil listeners what your rate was?
2: I was a mass communication specialist that was um I was actually the last uh class to come out of A school rated as a JO which is journalist but right after that they merged uh lithographers, draftsmen, photographers mates and journalists into one rate and uh called the semacies and so I was uh right as I got out, I was uh frocked, so I made third class, but uh like my last day in wow, okay, very good, very good. Now you work that
0: okay, all right, well, thank you for your service, and <laughs> at this time, I'm turning it back over to Sun guy.
2: All right, thank you guys.
0: Well,
1: Joe, one of the things that everyone in wrestling and I presume in comedy has are interactions with the fans that mean a little bit more than other interactions. Have you had that type of interaction, be it through wrestling or be it through comedy, where a moment with a fan just really stuck out to you?
2: Um, I have fans that stick out to me. I don't know if I've had a moment with any of them that like really would stick out to me more than any other. I I don't, it's, uh, I haven't had one of those. I haven't really had one of those moments, but like there are definitely uh, some fans that because of their lot in life or their situation or what have you that, will just stick out a little bit more than others. But I I haven't had a moment with a fan and, with a person in really either either um avenue that like really sticks out or was like, oh holy crap, that was really special.
1: All right. Now if you look at the landscape of the wrestling that you're affiliated with today. Who that has not yet tried it do you think would most succeed in stand up comedy?
2: Ooh. There's there's a couple good ones. Um I think uh The Shade down in Vegas would uh would be really good as a comic. Um Oh, man. Uh, uh, There's a couple other people. Uh, Almost any manager out there right now would probably do really well as a comedian just because, as I was talking about earlier, there there are just so many um, commonalities and similarities and crossover between the two. Um, Trying to think of anyone local, that would be really good that hasn't already at least tried. uh, Nothing that really, no one that really jumps out, jumps out, but like anyone that like normally works a microphone, I, I think would be really good at stand up because most of the time people are always trying to crack little tiny in jokes and stuff in their promos anyway. And yeah, and that Obviously translates over very well And very easily
1: Well we're at the stage Where we have a few minutes left of the show I want to give you ample time If there's anything you want to say to the listeners Plug and promote Anything and everything Appearances, merchandise, social media Your favorite burger joint Anything you would like Floor is all yours
2: um, well, I mean, my favorite burger joint is Bob's Atomic Burgers up in Golden, Colorado. You should definitely uh, check them out if you're ever in Colorado. But um, all of that aside, uh, the, the one thing um, I will push uh, DCW um, next Saturday at uh, the Gateway in downtown Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, QT Marshall, Marshall will uh, – will be in the house, and so you definitely want to get out to that one. Um, but really the only thing I really wanted to push and really wanted to stress is if you go over to the Primo's Facebook page or Twitter page or Instagram, I think they're pinned at the top of all three of the pages, you will find a GoFundMe link for uh, Benjamin Cumberbatch. I'm sure you guys have heard or at least seen have at least heard by now what's happened. You dude need some help. If you could uh, give to the GoFundMe or at least give the share, uh, definitely please do that.
1: Well, Joe, we definitely want to extend our appreciation to you for being with us here on the first day of, of Funny Ha Month and I know the scene there in Colorado is definitely getting much bigger and better, and we hope to see more of you not only there, but as things open up, see you back on the stage as a comic.
2: Oh, definitely. It's all just a matter of time at this point, but thank you for having me on.
1: Our pleasure, definitely. Fans, if you get the chance, go check out Joe's comedy acties new at it but he's got a lot of potential and also he works for several wrestling promotions here in the western half of the country so if he's doing any number of things on a show near you go ahead and go there and support what he does we'll be back with you next week next Friday we have Miranda Morales back on the show podcaster ring announcer extraordinaire And one week from this very day, Jack the Ripper Stevens, formerly Big Jack Cunningham, he will be here for Funny Ha Ha Month. Not only is he a Buddy Wayne Academy wrestler, he is also a stand-up comic, so he will be with us. Make sure you are with us and continue to be safe out there. Support your local independents. We'll be back with you next week.